0: Hey everyone, welcome to Reformed Podmatics, hosted by the pastors of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. It's Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey, and this podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Reformed Podmatics. I'm Pastor Zach. And I'm Pastor Mark. And we are on episode 21. We have finally made it uh, past 20. I I never knew we would get this far. Wasn't quite sure. But today we're going to be talking about the state of our denomination, the Christian Reformed Church in North America. Uh, we by no means want to be known as the discernment blogger types who constantly barrage and berate things we don't like. <laughs> um, that's definitely not the purpose of this episode. Uh, we really just want to dig into where we are as a denomination and where we're headed mm-hmm. and, and episodes to come maybe looking at uh, what we w- we see ourselves as needing to do in our churches, our people, and other pastors in our denomination as uh, moving forward, ways to move forward in a positive way um, mm-hmm. in, the, in our denomination. Um, this sort of <clears throat> it harkens back to our episode uh, a few weeks ago on homosexuality, um, where there was a report recently in our denomination that was co- been coming for four years now, a report on human sexuality, and this has been making lots of waves and conversation be stirred up in our denomination, mm-hmm. especially amongst pastors online together. Uh, and so this has given Mark recently a uh, good reason to to do a sermon, usually at the end of the year here at Ammon Valley or Almond Valley. <laughs> uh, Mark will do a sermon on the state of our congregation just sort of looking back on the year seeing where we've been and and speaking to where we we can head in the year to come uh but this past sunday mark took the opportunity to speak about the crc as a denomination uh and to address some of these things and so after that sermon, we sort of discussed that there was more we had to talk mm-hmm. about. There was more on the cutting room table, mm-hmm. or cutting cutting. Bo- I don't know what, what am I even saying. Floor? Cutting yeah. room floor. There we go. <laughs> Sometimes good. I get my uh, analogies <laughs> and my my <laughs> phrases all mixed up in my head. Maybe I'm not alone there. Uh, but there was more to talk about. There yeah, was uh, extra stuff that we wanted to discuss, and so. We've decided to spend a couple of episodes uh, looking at our denomination, uh, hoping to to share our love for it uh, mm-hmm. and our concern for it and our our hopes for it as well. Uh, and so we hope that this is helpful not only to fellow pastors but also to uh, lay people in our denomination, even young people in our denomination. Yeah. And also possibly to other people from various other denominations especially in our reformed family that are facing similar sorts of of things in their denominations as well so uh yeah why don't you why don't you take it away from yeah. here mark you well, can sort of share more of your heart for it as well i think it was good that you started
1: too by noting that we do love the christian Reformed church and often these kinds of episodes or blog posts or banner articles will really take more of the attitude of uh, pure cold criticism instead of a real heart to see thriving revival to see growth um, to see us hang on to a lot of the things that are really good about the Christian Reformed Church Um, now we could just come right out and say that we definitely see that we are a sick denomination. Um, and so we don't want to be glib in, um, offering some positives and sort of jumping right into a lot of the things that are really going wrong in the CRC. Hmm. But at the same time, we do recognize that a lot of great things are happening. Um, I have many friends, and colleagues, you might say, partners in ministry, who are great Bible-teaching, Christ-exalting ministers. And I know that there are a lot of great things happening in all of the ministries of the Christian Reformed Church, um, even some of the ones that often find they're getting criticized by more theologically conservative churches like ours, such as the Office of Social Justice and Hmm. Calvin University, probably being the two biggest targets for um, those of our ilk. Um, There are good things happening in those ministries as well, and Hmm. um, we have to really keep that in mind, that um, it's not as though there is just pure evil coming from Grand Rapids that's <laughs> infecting all of the churches that are trying their best almost in spite of the denomination to do ministry. No, that is that is looking at things in far too simplistic a light. However, um, we do just want to start and say that, that both Pastor Zach and I perceive that we have a lot of sickness in the Christian Reformed Church. Mm-hmm. And really... Most ministers and leaders in the CRC recognize this. Um, You can just look at the. On all sides, too. Yeah, I think that's recognized. On the different sides, certainly. There are those of a more conservative traditionalist perspective who would say we're sick for certain reasons. There are those in the progressive camp who would say we're sick for other reasons. And there are even um, sort of a middle camp there that I would call the pragmatists, those who kind of just want to do ministry and, and are finding that it's a struggle to do really any Christian ministry in the United States today because of different demographic reasons, and um, we could get into that a little bit later. But really, I would say just about any Christian Reformed minister or leader with their eyes open would say, we are quite a divided denomination, and we are a struggling denomination. Sometimes it helps just to name those things. It's a little bit like going to the doctor, and <laughs> you want to hear— why you feel sick. You know that you don't feel well. Um, you, you see certain things happening in your life that are signs of and then symptoms of disease and you don't want to go to the doctor and, and hear, you're fine. Actually, that's bad news. Um, I'll often do this in my counseling where somebody will, will get a, a very particular diagnosis and often there's a little bit of relief in that. Sounds strange, but it's true that wow now we know how to attack this now we know what what mm. um medicine to take in order to combat this this problem that i've been facing and so yeah. so that's a little bit of where the crc is you can just look at some of the numbers which certainly isn't the only way to gauge denominational health but we were on a a steep upward trajectory in the 70s and 80s and in the early 90s, um, that trajectory reversed into a negative, uh, really a, a membership decline. And of course, um, anybody who's aware of church politics in that age would know that, um, that that is the time when the Christian Reformed Church opened ministry, all of the offices of, ch- of church ministry, to women. And so there was a large um, section of people who who left to form what is now called the United Reformed Church of North America, and um, and I, I believe it was something in the range of thirty to 40,000 people over the next 10 years or so left the Christian mm-hmm. Reformed Church. Um, be, not just because of the women's issue, but um, there was certainly the accusation levied that the Christian Reformed Church was getting soft on biblical authority. That was really at the root of A lot of the criticisms. So so here we are, um, about 25 years later, and um, the Christian Reformed Church has not rebounded. Um, We continue to shrink, and um, really I would guess that as a result of COVID-19, many many congregations will end up closing their doors, Hmm. which is um, to me very sad. Uh, Churches that did a lot of great ministry over decades um, might not make it through this. And so, again, we might wonder, what is the sickness? What is the source of division, turmoil, um, mm. languishing in the Christian Reformed Church? And uh, that's a little bit of what we want to get at um, during this podcast.
0: Before we do get into that, I just want to make a quick caveat <laughs> that Mark has lived all of his years—how old are you now, Mark? Thirty-eight. Thirty-eight. Thirty-eight in the crc whereas i have only lived the past three of mine so mark is very much more of the authority on on this sort of stuff than i am but i i do think well a couple of things are true for me there's something that i do bring to the table i think absolutely from coming from the outside Mm -hmm. and having sort of migrated my way from a non-denominational even methodist uh, evangelical position, uh, into reformed theology and then went to seminary and really in seminary, I explored many different streams of the reformed tradition. Um, went to a few, uh, reformed Baptist churches in the area. When I was in Orlando, went to several PCA churches, never was a member of these churches, but, uh, Was very familiar with them, had close friends that went to these churches, went to an Acts 29 church for quite a while, actually, uh, before I eventually would land at my Anglican church there. Um, And so I I think what I do bring is the sense that lots of denominations, even denominations that are uh, allegedly more conservative than the CRC, are facing or are going to face soon a lot of the same issues that the crc faces Mm. so a lot of people have left the crc i've become familiar with the history mark was just saying in the 90s about the urc Uh, and so a lot of people think that just by leaving a denomination that they don't have to worry about these sorts of things which i do not think is true at all i think most every denomination even the denominations in in the napark if you've heard of that the north american Sort of grouping Reformed, of, kind of, of Presbyterian speaking. and Reformed yeah. churches. Yeah. Um, most – well, all of them are very conservative. Um, I think one of the distinguishing marks is that there's no women's ordination in any of those denominations. Mm-hmm. So you have the PCA, the URC, the RPCNA. All, like, we could do alphabet soup with it all. <laughs> yeah, I don't want OPC, to. but. Yes. um I, I feel like those denominations, having peeked into those and knowing people that exist in those, if they're honest, a lot of the same issues that we're working at, at right now in the CRC are coming down the pike for them as well within the next 5, 10, 15 years. And the reason is because of the, the, the broader culture that we mm. all live in. Mm-hmm. It's going to bring these sorts of questions to the fore. And so some people have asked me, Zach, why did you go to the CRC? Uh, And they'll often sort of have an attitude of, don't you know there's all sorts of problems in the CRC? (laughs) And my sort of thought is, yes, there are problems in the CRC, but there are problems for Christianity at large that all of Christianity is going to need to face. And so Mm -hmm. for me, it was a matter of just picking a place to, to hunker down and to get to work.
1: Yeah, I, that's a great um, summary of the land, the reformed landscape, you might say. And some people will look at that and immediately be struck with fear. We have issues to face. How we, you know, we we would just kind of prefer to imagine that my church in my little corner or, or my denomination is pure, and we don't have to face those kinds of issues. I would suggest that fear would not be a good response. Obviously, it never is in Scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, to look at some of these issues and say, the Lord is going to teach us a lot, uh, a lot about his word, a lot about the world that he made. And hopefully the Lord will give us an increasing love for our neighbors as we start to understand more of the world and more of the issues even within our own churches, um, that we would be united in matters of, that are essential um, a charitable in matters that are not essential, um, but this is a could be a real process of spiritual growth to work through a mm-hmm. lot of these things um, in a congregation, at a denominational level. Um, no matter what a church is facing, every challenge brings with it opportunities of mm-hmm. um, theological spiritual growth. So, um, so we we do approach these things believing that. Uh, that the Lord can do a great thing in the Christian Reformed Church. Um, certainly there's no promise in Scripture that not every denomination will endure until the <laughs> return of Christ. Um, neither is there the guarantee that every congregation will endure, um, just as we could see in uh, Jesus' letter to the seven churches, that, uh, that those churches do not endure even still to this day. And so... I don't think that we're doing this assuming that, that God it is in God's plan that the Christian Reformed Church will remain until Jesus' return. However, um, we do think that there's a lot of blessing in the CRC, and we do hope that it continues for, for our ministry. We hope that that is uh, something that we can continue working within. So huh. um, one thing that we could get to in terms of where the conflict lies— um, comes from a little word picture that I used in my sermon this past Sunday, and that's that we can think of kind of front door issues and side door or back door issues. And here's what I mean by that: um, we could think of a a minister as being like the front door of a congregation, and um, and there are all kinds of other sources of information or knowledge that. Can kind of make their way into this through the side door of a house, you might say, or the side door of a church, um, and
0: so we're it, talking about the formation of the congregation. Yeah, of a the congregation, congregation,
1: but really as a, of a denomination as well. Okay, you have yeah. like um, the, the front door would be uh, clergy, ex- executive, okay, yeah. uh, executive sort of leadership, uh, ministry leaders um ministers uh, just the obvious representatives you might say of the denomination Mm -hmm. and then there's there's this sort there are these other sources of information that people go to to find um Mm -hmm. a view on the end times or human sexuality or polity or all of these other things and so so generally the front door over the course of the crc has been a, a fairly united voice and some people might disagree with that but i would say a fairly united voice in terms of um, affirming our view on human sexuality uh biblical holding authority. to yeah biblical authority um reform polity um a lot of these distinctives um and a lot of information coming in from side doors and I, a few of those side doors that i listed were uh, members at large who mm-hmm. read a Richard Rohr book and now um, are going to try to start to influence their congregation towards his yeah. mysterious, you know... The uh, equivalent could be like a,
0: a blogger. He's a, yeah. maybe a, a layperson in the CRC who right. has a blog that becomes influential. Right. Or, or even um, this podcast, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: Um, and uh, really one thing that, that we see a lot of in the Christian Reformed Church in terms of that side door would be retired Ministers, retired Hmm. college professors um, who were sort of at the front door during their career. And then now that they have retired, they sort of come out of the closet, you might say, in terms of all of the things that they have really believed all this time. We think of Edwin Walhout and his article several years ago um he was a professor and he wrote an article in the banner that rejected the doctrine of original sin and the literal existence of Adam and so again retired then wrote this
0: so you can still this, use the the authority of being exactly. of having been a professor
1: right and then yeah. you have also um a minister len vanderzee who retired and uh now has come out in favor of same-sex marriage um um Waltersdorf uh, doing the same, the philosopher yeah. uh, who is sort of done with his ministry and then now comes out in favor of um, same-sex marriage, same-sex unions. Um, I, it was funny because I used that as an example in my own sermon, and somebody came up to me right after uh, the service and said, this just happened in my family member's church where a retired college professor from a, um, one of the Christian Reformed Universities, um, finished their, minist- their ministry and teaching at the school, and then right away was all about the women's march and pro-choice and, and how um, mm-hmm. abortion is really a poverty issue more than it is a life mm-hmm. or death issue. And so these people had to leave their Christian Reformed church because it was starting to be very influenced by this retired college professor. Mm-hmm. And so I- I'm not saying all college professors are, are bad or whatever, but there, there's, that's a real theme in the CRC. Um, both that and then the banner um, often giving voice to lay members um, and people from other denominations who really aren't aren't giving reformed um, teaching, mm-hmm. but are, are sort of allowing for that side door to almost shift into the front door in the CRC. And so a lot of these things that have been side door issues over the past maybe 20 years are, are really moving more towards the front door of pastors who, um, you know, would never say hell in a sermon, or would hardly maybe ever even say sin in a sermon. Mm-hmm. Um, pastors who certainly would never say from the pulpit that homosexual activity is a sin, um, and uh, the banner, of course, getting more and more. Um, it was good for a little window there, and then now <laughs> we're sort of back into um, the banner being kind of a mouthpiece for progressivism almost, um, under the guise of looking at things from all sides, but really um, pushing in a certain direction overall. So so things are moving to the front door, you might say, in the Christian Reformed Church, which honestly could just sound terrible to a lot of people, but I kind of appreciate the honesty of somebody who would come out and say, I do think same-sex unions are a good thing because then we sort of know where we stand a little bit more. That's a good point. Um, Instead of kind of the pastor who wants to keep his job and so just will never preach a sermon that is a a strongly, a biblical theology of sexuality, including the confrontation of homosexuality. Um, We have a lot of ministers who just won't preach that, and they might want to kind of keep the job, I don't know exactly if that's the motive, but Hmm. I would guess, even knowing myself, that 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 could be my motive if if I were in that situation. And then upon retirement, then all of a sudden, you know, people come out.
0: For all the talk I've heard from progressives in different denominations speaking about the evils of colonization and especially how evangelism is a form of colonization. Mm. I was just listening to this morning, this morning to an interview with Archbishop Foley beach of the ACNA, the Anglican church of North America, talking about how he had heard Episcopalian bishops uh, apologizing to Hindus for doing evangelism to their people historically, because this was a way of colonizing them and it was a way of saying that their their faith wasn't a legitimate faith. Oh wow! Um, and so for all that kind of that kind of speaking, it's interesting to me that there is a colonization of many progressives in more conservative denominations or traditional denominations who want to go under the radar very often and be very quiet with their views, but to subtly uh, work to uh, promote their their unorthodox views or heterodox mm. views mm-hmm. um, or even heretical views without being on the surface. So that's yeah. that's interesting that you say that. Yeah, you would prefer if people just came out and said what they believed, uh, and so then it could be worked with out in the open. But often. I've seen this in different denominations. Denominations get hollowed out because they become colonized or taken over, essentially, mm. uh, from from progressives. And in, in seminary, a professor of mine, John Frame, would talk about what he called the the phenomenon of conservative drift. I don't know why he named it that, but basically, he would w- he w- his argument was that. Over time, progressives have become very good at using conservative and traditional Christian language and words and changing their meaning subtly so that Mm. nobody knows that it will still sound like they're orthodox to the average person while at the same time twisting the the words and the language and the meaning of those words so that the average believer in the pew would never notice, would think that they are being taught uh, orthodox teaching Mm-hmm. while without their noticing being galvanized and being pushed to believe something they would otherwise not have believed. So basically like a Trojan horse sort kind of, of thing.
1: Like what is the kingdom of God? Yeah. That uh, that would be a that's great That's a big example. question in the CRC right yeah. now. Right. So in today's episode, we will focus a little bit more on the homiletical values of the Christian Reformed Church, particularly with an eye towards what is taught at Calvin Theological Seminary and Also, what I've seen in many Christian Reformed pulpits during my journeys throughout Christian Reformed churches. And uh, next, we'll think about some of the strengths and weaknesses in our camp, you might say. Uh, We'll look at what is happening among more theologically conservative Christian Reformed churches, um, of which there are many, and um, certainly they are not perfect by any stretch. And so, we'll think about what is happening and uh, how. Those some of those weaknesses might be corrected during this episode. So I'll probably do a little bit more talking in this regard than than Zach because I've been yeah. around the CRC a little bit more than he has to give our listeners a bit of an idea of my background. I was born and raised in the Chicago area and the Christian Reform churches there. so I was baptized and have sort of my extended familial roots in um, a church in Elmhurst, Illinois. I attended Timothy Christian. High school for my high school years, which is um, one of these uh, Reformed-influenced uh, schools, Christian schools. And uh, after being baptized into uh, one of those very traditional churches in the western suburbs, my family joined with a church plant, a Christian Reformed church plant, in uh, Naperville and ended up moving to Plainfield, Illinois. And so my experience of the CRC is a little bit different growing up because I grew up in a church plant, which was, as I've said in uh, other um, podcasts, more homogeneously evangelical, I would say, than it was specifically confessional. We did learn the catechism, which I'm very thankful for, um, but it would be very, very rare to hear um, a, a Reformed doctrine in a sermon or a reference to the Heidelberg Catechism you know, three forms of unity or really any other reformed theologian so yeah. um so after that i attended um, willowby christian reformed church in langley where i went to uh, college at trinity western not a crc school um but uh after that i uh, actually attended a reformed church in america congregation for three years my wife and i were members there in linden also so um, in Lyndon, Washington, what still. What church was that? It was called Faith Reformed Church in Lyndon, okay. and it was just a little church. that was literally next door to Third CRC and First uh, and uh, First Reformed, and uh, kind of behind Second Reformed there, uh, Second CRC. <laughs> and so, Gotta the, love that. there's there's uh, <laughs> there's just a lot of Reformed ness in Lyndon, Washington. So, even though we were outside of the church for th- those three years, it was still very much influenced you might say, by uh, sort of that Reformed culture. After that, I went to seminary at Calvin Theological Seminary, and I have pastored a church in northwest Washington State in Sumas, Washington, and now I am here in Ripon. And so over the course of all that time, I had counted up that I've preached at 24 Christian Reformed churches. I said 23 on Sunday, but then my wife reminded me that I've also preached at uh, Trinity CRC in Anchorage, Alaska, Um, I've preached at uh, Shiprock, New Mexico on the Navajo Reservation in uh, Terrace, British Columbia, where my wife is from. And so through her, I have a lot more knowledge of the Canadian CRC, um, which is a big portion of our denomination. Mm -hmm. And then um, preached in Ontario and throughout West Michigan while I was in seminary, obviously in Washington and California, where I have pastored, and Illinois, where I'm from. So pretty good spread, I would say, of knowledge of the Christian Reformed Church, um, although certainly not exhaustive. And um, during my journeys throughout the CRC, I have noticed something that is an issue, I perceive, that is not unique to progressive or conservative Christian Reformed churches, but is quite common across the board. And the issue has to do with the style of preaching that Mm. I I hear in many Christian Reformed pulpits. And I would say— This overall value of uh, Christian Reformed preaching is more on um, nice, prepackaged literary sermons um, over and above some of the um, convicting sermons that you will read from the Bible itself in the Book of Acts um, or uh, convicting messages that the Apostle Paul would share with churches in... um, Uh, Corinth or churches in Galatia, um, there is definitely a desire, and this is even taught, I think, at the seminary, to um, emphasize grace so much so that it would rarely cut to the heart. Um, The teaching method in the homiletics department while I was at Calvin seminary was to use a book called The Four-Page Sermon. the four pages of the sermon in this hermeneutic um, are to look for the trouble in the text, the trouble in the world, the grace in the text, and the grace in the world. Hmm. And really throughout our, our learning, there was far more emphasis on kind of general types of grace, general types of trouble, um, than there was on... Uh, diagnosing particular sin that the people of your congregation are really struggling with. And so um, I would say many students coming out of Calvin Seminary are really learning to be able, far too general and very literary and very flowery and wordsmithy in their sermons um, without really being prompted to, thus saith the Lord, to proclaim sin and to proclaim gospel truth uh you know this salvation through christ um it it ends up being a little bit fuzzy and again i say that this is very common in theologically conservative churches theologically liberal churches um Mm -hmm. where it would be rare if somebody would leave a service feeling wow that one that one cut me a little bit today and i'm so glad Mm -hmm. for the grace of jesus christ which is my solution to my sin that has been revealed during this service of worship. Um, It's, I would say, quite rare for for that to happen um, Mm -hmm. a little bit because of how we're taught to preach at Calvin Seminary.
0: So what would then be, in your view, a biblical theology, so to speak, of preaching? What would... What would be some texts you would draw yeah. on then, Mark, for, for preaching? Uh, I can remember a book I read that was really influential early on before I went to seminary by Jason Meyer, who now preaches mm-hmm. at uh, John MacArthur's yeah. church at Bethlehem Baptist Church. Yeah, It's a book just called Preaching, which I thought was very influential, very helpful in walking through all of Scripture. But I'd like to hear from you um, your, your opinions.
1: Well, it's interesting to see how preaching is described in Paul's letters and in the letter of of Jude as well, um, where there's a real urgency to it. It's, uh, you think of the beginning of Jude where it says, contend for the faith. Um, and my text this past Sunday was from Jude 17 through 25, and it's particularly this little phrase, um, keep yourselves in God's love. Uh, before that, it even says, build yourselves up in the most holy faith. So, a sermon should build people in the most holy faith, and I would suggest that that should be very clearly reformed, the reformed faith in our Christian Reformed churches. And then it continues a little bit later saying, snatch others from the fire and save them. And I would suggest that that's not just a general snatching, but that is a something that is happening during a sermon. Snatch others from the fire. They're going to hell People are going to hell in the world today. And so be serious about this and um, preach with that urgency that will communicate to them. I desire that you are with God in heaven and not that you would suffer in eternal damnation.
0: That sort of language, snatch others from the fire and save them. Yeah. Feels completely foreign in many corners of the CRC.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um,
0: like people couldn't even say that. That would sound strange for somebody to preach in a sermon.
1: Snatch them from the fire. Yeah, it's right out of the Bible. And also, I think of like Titus 2. I referenced this in my sermon incorrectly. I said it was from uh, one of Paul's letters to Timothy. But this is in Titus 2, verses 7 and 8. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. And um, I really like that serious term um often i have seen um kind of prepackaged flowery sermons um i think of the worship symposium and and the preaching there is more of a preaching performance to me often and somebody would walk away being like that was an amazing performance of a sermon mm-hmm. almost more than they would say like like When the word is open, I might be obliterated by the truth that I find there and Hmm. built, of course, back up together um, through the gospel. But uh, it's it's really at that worship symposium, which is often the gold standard for how people think of worship and preaching Hmm. that, um, you know, for example, I've heard one minister give a sermon there that I've heard in two other contexts as well. So it's like the good sermon that I wrote, and I want to show it to you. That's yeah. not really what preaching should be. It's really not what preaching should be, and I am I really feel strongly about that. This is a word of God for the people gathered more than it is, wow, just leaving a conference feeling like that guy is really good.
0: That's one of the, the uh, statements in the second Helvetic confession, not our confession, but another Reformed <laughs> confession that says that the word of God preached is the word of God which is quite a controversial thing to say if you think about it but i think it's true that the sermon is a is a place in the service where god is speaking through a minister yeah uh, and we should listen not to what the minister has to say but what to the lord almighty has to say
1: well and i don't want to sound like you reusing a sermon is necessarily bad but um mm-hmm. And, and I would even say some of the content of that sermon was, was good. But right. there's an ethos to it. You know it when you see it. It's in, performance. In terms of yeah being performative versus mm-hmm. being um, like uh, something that we just have got to get, something that we have got to hear from the Word mm-hmm. of God. And so the last text that I would use to, to think about the type of preaching that we need would be in 1 Thessalonians 1, 4, and 5, where Paul says, For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. That's where I think of Martin lloyd Jones's definition of preaching as logic on fire. It's convicting. It's um, impacting. And I am not perfect in this, and so I don't want to have a log in my own eye while I try to remove the speck in others. I can certainly do better at um, trusting the Spirit and saying clearly and powerfully what God's Word says. And maybe um, I need to become more of a wordsmith in my own preaching and so I could learn from some of these other methods, but where sermons are only nice, vanilla, um, about the general ideas of grace, and we need God's help to get through life, and isn't it so great that God is love, and... Uh, all of those kinds of things, which one could hear only those types of sermons for years upon years at a Christian Reformed church, um, Hmm. we're not going to grow in the way that we need to. And so that is something that that I would love to see is, uh, in our next episode, we'll get into what what we would like to see changed. And um, we'll talk, I would guess, at that point about The types of messages that we should be hearing. I would love if we listened Mm. to more Martin Lloyd Jones than um, Barbara Brown Taylor in (laughs) at seminary, and um, I would love if we listened, if we read more Spurgeon and Edwards versus um, listening to some of the other ministers who 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 do not preach with the same conviction
0: as those other pastors do. This reminds me of Nehemiah chapter eight. After the return from exile and uh, Mm -hmm. Ezra gets up to to preach um, along with other priests and scribes. And they, in verse eight of chapter eight, it says this, they read from the book from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading Mm. and Nehemiah, who was the governor and Ezra, the priest and scribe and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord, your God, do not mourn or weep all the people wept as they heard the words of the law i think that's a great picture of preaching people weeping there would have been weeping because of the emotions of being back now after exile Mm -hmm. and of hearing this law that had gone had been quiet for the for the past several decades for generations up to this point Mm -hmm. uh, because they had missed hearing this but they would have also have felt the weight of god's law having known now all of their sin coming out of exile they are fully aware of of their uh, status their sinful status before god and now hearing this law and thinking of what could have been if they had obeyed it they were cut to the heart uh, in hearing in hearing this law so i think that's a really good picture of what of what preaching should look like as well giving the sense so people can understand and people being cut to the heart but often this is not what is seen
1: yeah and maybe a a really good uh, way of pointing to how this is developed particularly at the seminary is that there is so much more emphasis on reading books reading good books and watching interesting movies than there is on learning reformed preaching like reading sermons from great reformed
0: ministers. Let's be honest. Most people in seminary and college are already watching lots of TV and reading books. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, reading books, maybe less and less today, but people are watching lots of TV and movies. Yeah. You don't have to encourage that.
1: And, 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 yeah, so it is happening, and that's a good thing if somebody watches um, a movie that's very interesting theologically. Uh, however, that was where all of the emphasis was. And so. Um, that that sort of communicates the gold standard of a sermon will be a really good reference to a Margaret Atwood book.
0: I don't even know who that is.
1: And uh, <laughs> and 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 so we we then start to see the drift of the Christian Reformed Church a little bit away from Reformed doctrine and um, proclamation of sin and and salvation and more into kind of more interest in what you would call neo Kyperian arenas like politics and mm-hmm. uh, social issues and things it becomes like that.
0: very easy to use scripture as a way of promoting a special cause or a special you know deep yeah a, a emotion that you have about some particular political issue. I think a lot of that is like a like a vestigial leftover of the 20th mid 20th century evangelical impulse to always, you know, look and feel and sound smart and sensible to the watching world. Yeah. This was a lot of the neo evangelical movement of men that I generally appreciate. Carl Henry, for example, would be one of them. The big push in the Mm. mid to late 20th century was. Evangelicals need to be smart, and we can no longer we can no longer be fundamentals fundamentalists with our heads in the sand. Mm. And so, you still have a lot of people to the today just saying we just as Christians we just need to appear as smart and as well read, and we need to know all the obscure fashion trends and poetry trends and so on in order to present our faith in a way that is palatable to the 21st century. But more and more, what you do in doing that, if you go too far, is you have you lose any sort of uh, proclamational depth and gravitas to the gr- the Christian gospel, mm. and you see this a lot in in more mainline progressive churches. They're not calling anybody to repentance, and nobody's coming to their churches anymore. And the big thing I've heard from from agnostic friends is, "Why would I want to go to church if a church is just like me, anyways?" Mm. Uh, why would I want to waste my time and believing things that just basically promote what I already believe? I don't need to go to church when it's just patting me on the back.
1: Yeah. That was the big criticism of, um, Carl Lentz, right. Um, of the Hillsong church, which is trying to be Hollywood and, and New York city. And it was coming from an atheist that said, um, you're not going to do the world better than the world does. And, and so, um, why don't we give up? (laughs) Uh, And I I do believe that we should, to some extent, give up on trying to be worldly, and we should—I never heard the name Martin Lloyd-Jones in my time at Calvin Seminary. I don't believe I ever heard the name Charles Spurgeon um, or or, or read his— any of his sermons in any of my homiletics classes, the prince of preachers. Right? That really does um, surprise me a lot. And, and so, well, you know, I certainly heard a lot of literary types of things, which again has yeah. its place. And I, I do like the this, this past Christmas, um, Christmas morning, I used references from the Shawshank Redemption, and I believe that that was helpful for our church. But um, hmm. I, that can't be the only way that we approach the text. Is kind of through the lens really of culture or literature or art so um, we've gotten pretty far into that one in terms (laughs) of preaching style but maybe this means that if you're at one of those Christian reformed church churches with very vanilla sermons or almost exclusively literary sermons that would never name a sin um, particularly a sin that our world uh, Pat's on the back, like greed or mm. lust or homosexuality, um, if that would never be said at your church, um, then you might encourage your pastor. Don't come down on him with just all this. Well, oh, I listened to some podcast <laughs> that that says you're a bad preacher. No, um, hopefully it would be some encouragement to say, "Hey, challenge us, pastor. Uh, show us, show mm-hmm. us what God's word says about about sin, and uh, lead us." Lead us in uh, a way that will produce deep conviction among all of the listeners of your messages. Um, yeah.
0: Speaking of pop culture references, and I'll just throw this in real quick before we transition to our next point. But mm. I was watching a show two years ago, I think, on Netflix, on the Sunderland, England soccer team. The so Black it, Cats. Uh, I forget <laughs> what the show itself was called, but it was it was awesome. I I love soccer. Uh, or as it should be called, football. Um, (laughs) And so I found the show on Netflix one day and decided to watch it, and you really see how much idolatry goes into soccer fandom in in the U.K. That's crazy. And This happens in the U.S. with different sports, too. Mostly with football, probably. But it is a religion. And there's actually interesting quotes of people that they have off the streets who are coming from the game and people are saying, "Oh, yeah, this is my religion. This is where I come and I sing. This is where I worship." It's yeah. like, "Whoa!" People are actually just saying this It's right the Cathedral, out. you it's, might yeah, say. Exactly. That, yeah, exactly. It's, it's the it's the worship. They refer to location. them as
1: cathedrals of sport. Right? Yeah,
0: and so. that is not uh, just a coincidence. I don't think. Yeah. Uh, and what was really fascinating to me is that one of the episodes starts out with a, I believe, Church of England church with the priest praying a prayer that he had written where he's praying for the soccer team to have a good outcome. He's praying for the city to rally behind them. Wow. And as somebody who loves soccer and I, I, I watch a lot of soccer and I'm constantly reading about it. It's one of my interests. Uh, it was really sad to see that the, how in that prayer, he's simply just patting people on the back and encouraging them in what is very clearly idolatry. And there was no sense of, of calling them to repentance for making their whole lives all about their teams ups and downs. Mostly in this case for Sunderland, it was down. They got relegated to different leagues because they were doing so poorly. Uh, (laughs) There was nothing. And so I saw in that sort of a, a parable of how a lot of churches today in our denomination and outside of them, there's just a patting on the back. We want to encourage whatever our people are worried about. We want to pat them on the back, come alongside them, and just feel empathy for them. And we want to come alongside them. You hear that kind of language a lot.
1: Gracious presence. Yeah, gracious
0: yeah. presence, a faithful yeah. presence. You know, We're going to sort of mentor people through life. Mm-hmm. And that is the p- approach of the church, it's sort of just to just to pat them on the back and be nice. And we're going to get them through this. This is a hard world to live in. So we just need to be nice to people. And if they're encouraged by something and energized by something, we just need to encourage that. And that I think is a really destructive and deceptive way of, of ministry. It's not really even ministry at a certain point.
1: Yeah. And that's a great example because um, would, Someone could ask, "Would a pastor confront the idolatry of sports?" That one will sting some people in every congregation. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, Every congregation, and um, will, but would a pastor go years and years without ever saying, "If you invest more time in entertainment and in sports than in the kingdom of God, that is your idol." Um, and, uh, I don't know. I, I preached a sermon on a theology of sports. Uh, I think it was about a year and a half ago. And I I sort of gave a cautionary tale on that sermon of somebody that I knew who invested all this time and tore the ACL first year of college. And that's it just done. And then I, I contrasted that with Ted Williams story where he took two breaks from his amazing Mm -hmm. hall of fame baseball career to serve in wars because the war mattered more than his baseball. And uh, I don't think that I'm the gold standard of this by any stretch, but really use that sermon to say, look, sports are are such a, a powerful idol in our culture, and uh, let's be aware of of the destruction of worshiping an idol.
0: And it's extremely socially acceptable, too. Right. So it often flies under the radar.
1: So that's it, one little example that one could ask, H- has my pastor confronted that sin? Um, so, of course, this isn't just the sexual sins that our country and our culture says are great now. Um, this is the kind of sins that people are dealing with in the pew. Are people going to be cut to the heart and convicted and turned from sin into life through Christ. Um, I I do have my doubts at times about uh, if that's really happening across the whole Christian Reformed denomination. So, hmm. um, so we spent a lot of time on that. But uh, <laughs> let's go on to some of the issues that we see. Let's actually start with the more conservative wing. That's kind of our... That's hmm. the pond that we swim in a little bit more. Um, yeah. We... We see that um, God certainly has placed on the hearts of more theologically conservative ministers like Zach and I a real desire to um, hold on to the three forms of unity, um, scriptural authority, the purity of the gospel as it's defined in 1 Corinthians 15. This is the gospel that we preach, that Christ died for our sins and was risen from the dead, and he's ascended to heaven. Um, That's our gospel forgiveness of sins through christ salvation through him Hmm. and um among these kinds of churches you're going to hear that a lot which is great but uh what would you say are some threats to the vitality and spiritual productivity of churches like ours in the christian reformed church zach
0: yeah that's a huge question uh one quick thought that comes to mind is culture warriorism yeah (laughs) We're just constantly fighting the culture war, and even politicking in certain ways, to to fight back and to get your way in in the denomination, and really having a whole spirit of anger, mm. of angst, of fear, of fear, fear that you're going to lose, uh, and you you see it as a a win lose everything. <laughs> always is black and white uh and so you sort of take on you you read a lot of passages from the old from the new testament that talk about false teaching and so you're always sniffing around every little corner for everything hmm. and this can very quickly lead to the sin and the error of legalism uh and seeing everything uh,
1: like a hill to die on you might yeah say, it's, right? everything's yeah. a hill to die on there's
0: yeah. no there's no uh n- nuance or there's no uh wiggle room for anything it's yeah. it's all or nothing it's a knock down drag out sort of fight hmm. uh and so and this can be helpful in certain ways as a conservative we do need to be strong into our commitments and our our convictions but also really do a, a lot of damage it can be like a bowl in a china shop sort of thing mm. uh, and you end up doing much more damage to the cause of orthodox traditional christianity uh, than you do uh, any good for it
1: yeah the temptation for the theological conservative is to be pulled into pure fundamentalism and i have once heard it Said, that's a much
0: cleaner way of what I just described. No, that's okay. Uh, <laughs> I,
1: I once heard it said the fundamentalist views every compromise as a concession to the culture.
0: Yes. Yeah. Every little compromise. Every yeah, compromise.
1: That's... Every time you you don't get your way, the culture won, and truth lost. Yeah. You know, on sometimes amazingly small things, uh, um, and so. A good point. The theological conservatives, uh, I think, particularly about politics in this regard, where, um, here's a great example, uh, Obamacare. (laughs) So, a lot of political theological conservatives often find themselves being political conservatives. Um, I can't think of too many who would be politically liberal, uh, but, but a theological conservative. (laughs) <laughs> this is, there was a little story from a church I preached at. Um, I had a friend who preached at this Christian Reformed Church uh, while we were in seminary, and Obamacare had just been passed. And uh, that there was the guy leading the service. He was a layman because they didn't have a pastor. And my friend, who was about to get up to preach, um, was preceded by this guy leading the congregational prayer. It had passed that day. I think it passed on a Sunday. Oh, and the guy got up and said... Obamacare is worse than 9-11. And and Whoa. so there's your example, right, of, um, of seeing that every, every little thing. So does the Bible talk about social medicine? Does the Bible give us directives about what the government should be providing for huh. her people in terms of medical care? No, that's something that You'd we have to make
0: a very drawn out argument exactly to come around to and, that. and yeah.
1: certainly we would need you could disagree with it hey and and i generally do mm-hmm. um but to to go and say to be that fundamentalistic to believe that any even political compromise which is happening in the sphere of the world is some kind of threat to the kingdom of god automatically is uh is a, is a real danger among theological conservatives um hmm another one that we would want to address among this camp is what um, Zach and I kind of call trademark biblical preaching or (laughs) biblical ministry and we put the word biblical in quotes because um, this is the idea that um, the only good sermon is just the Bible and would never use any of those literary Mm -hmm. references that I talked about that you learn at Calvin Seminary um it's it's essentially MacArthurism, I would say, where uh, John MacArthur, yep. they would, his biggest fans, they say he preaches from the Bible. Mm-hmm. All he does is—I I often think John MacArthur must only spend about two or three hours on a sermon because they're cross-references. Like, mm-hmm. So I'm preaching this coming Sunday um, from Jesus Walks on Water, and I could talk about the cross-reference to— how uh, the spirit was hovering over the waters and uh, just find like six stories from the Bible where something amazing is happening around water and then conclude it with God has great power to ease our fears in times of storms. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. boom sermon, biblical sermon right there. And, uh, that is regarded by many people as a, a good sermon automatically. If it has just a lot of the Bible and I'm not saying it's necessarily a bad way to preach, but um there's a like when there's lots of the bible oh absolutely and and a sermon should have some cross references that's a good thing but there is a temptation among theological conservatives to say that is the only way to preach um i once heard a christian reformed um, ministry leader say that he went to hear a, a reformed uh theologian and he was so disappointed by this Reformed theologian's preaching because he had so many stories in his sermon. Like, how could a Reformed theologian include that many stories in the sermon? And his underneath his criticism was that was not biblical enough because it was too mm-hmm. creative. It was too uh, story-driven or parabolic or whatever you might want to say, to which I would respond, Jesus used stories the Bible even mm-hmm. says he never taught without using a story. Um, and so certainly he did this perfectly, but we we should be able to use creative illustrations, um, movie references, music references, uh, references to things that have happened in history or are happening in our world today as parables for illustrating a biblical truth. Um, there's a real danger, I think, in theological Theologically conservative circles to absolutize what a good sermon or ministry looks like by saying it's we just talk about the Bible here and the world is bad so we reject it.
0: Yeah. So this idea of biblical TM or trademark biblical (laughs) it it reduces everything to a sort of biblical brand and you can so you have biblical parenting, you have biblical (laughs) cooking, you have biblical living, biblical. You know, and everything, biblical this, biblical, biblical that. Biblical youth ministry, biblical and, counseling. Yeah, you raise everything to the level, every every opinion that you have, you say it's biblical, therefore it's unquestionable, and anybody who differs with you is instantly wrong. And so I don't want to say that there's no such thing as biblical positions on things. Yeah. I, I think very se- very strongly that there are, quote, biblical positions on things. Uh Listen to the rest of our episodes that we've put out. We think that there are biblical positions on on various issues, uh, but what what happens is that when there becomes a culture of just saying everything is oh that's biblical, that's biblical, it makes often the sort of guru at the top, often the mm-hmm. pastor, mm-hmm. become unquestionable. Mm-hmm. He sort of becomes a pope unto himself, <laughs> and it re, it makes all of the people who are listening to this person reading this person's works going to this person's church uh, they don't have to do the hard work anymore of searching the scriptures themselves because the guru the smart guy has already done the work for them it's it's already been done it's already been pre-packaged for them and so this this is this is what the smart guy says this is what i go with and so it it yep. It severs the necessity for the Christian to search the Scriptures yeah. for themselves, uh, and that's that's an that's irony, part of the isn't danger. it? You're not yeah.
1: you're going to end up actually not studying the Bible quite as much if it's just um, kind of words on the page. That well, there's a Bible verse for every little thing, yeah. And you just got to find the three verses that talk about getting a tattoo, and then I should just not do that, and mm-hmm. then I don't have to think about that anymore. And that's
0: the biblical. Yeah. Position, right. right, and then you can if you can use that word to bolster up your position that you really not have done you've not done much thinking about anybody who questions it is mm-hmm. almost a heres a heretic for it. Uh, and this is going back to John MacArthur mentioning him is important, I think, because we would see him as a conservative, a fellow conservative yeah. Christian.
1: I appreciate a lot of what he says. Yeah. I
0: have some of his commentaries on my shelf, and. Often will turn to them when I'm struggling with a particular passage because th- there will be really good things there to, to be found in the scripture. But recently this summer with the whole COVID-19, the pandemic, churches opening or closing, his church put out a pretty strongly worded statement uh, that basically made the point that if you are a church and you're not meeting right now in person, you are not obeying the Lord's command to meet in person as Hebrews 10 tells us therefore you are almost be- being unfaithful to the Lord and yep. he is your he is your Lord and so you should be obeying his word and anybody who's not and so this this is a highly uh, debatable uh, interpretation uh, or approach to the the state the state of California's mandate to, to not uh, to not have church in person so there's a lot of debate about this. A lot of conservatives would even would debate it like we would. Uh but he's basically saying my position or our position as a church is the biblical position. There is no mm. other position. Mm-hmm. Uh and so it was basically saying you are uh you are unfaithful. You are infidels to to the <laughs> Lord that you claim to serve and that is where it becomes very problematic to raise everything to the level of being biblical, biblical, yeah. biblical.
1: Yeah, there's no room for discussion. There's no room for compromise. There's no nuance. And um, there are some things that there is no room for compromise on in the Bible, many things even. But uh, the fundamentalist will be tempted to make everything into a, yeah. a do-or-die theological matter
0: yeah Um, if you're interested on this i have an article that i would highly recommend called being biblical when the bible becomes a brand by alistair roberts oh man that sounds really good we'll put that on the uh the notes notes.
1: there below the um below the, The the description of this uh this podcast on podbean so um let's wrap it up there and in our next episode we will discuss some of the struggles and issues with many of the more, um, you might say theologically liberal or progressive Christian Reformed churches. Um, we've spent a good amount of time here looking at, uh, some struggles in the theologically conservative circles. And, um, maybe even after that, we could think about the more pragmatist or seeker sensitive, um, um, Christian Reformed churches as well. Uh, and in each case, we have a lot to learn, and there are a lot of good things that are happening in theologically conservative uh, congregations. In um, some of the more progressive congregations, there are good things that we can learn from um, these ministries. How hyperion of you, Mark? <laughs> yeah, and and there there are also even there are good things to learn from churches that are, uh, I would say, nominally Christian Reformed and and mm-hmm. do not catechize their youth and. The reason for that is they really have a desire to be broadly evangelical Mm -hmm. and uh, seeker-sensitive and more growth-minded. So um, growth in terms of numbers with community people. Um, Sure, yeah. So uh, we will think about those things in future episodes, and so hopefully you will return to hear more of our thoughts on the Christian Reformed Church. It is definitely a topic that requires... A lot of thinking a lot of processing mm-hmm. and all of these things matter not just for the crc but really for every denomination i would say there are going to be um, the pragmatists the uh, traditionalists and the progressives and um, how can we learn from them but also critique maybe where the bible calls us to
0: yeah so. and we also want to encourage uh, h- feedback from you we'd love to hear your thoughts for those of you who are listening to us um, and we also want to encourage you to share. If you, if you're a member of the CRC, maybe you're you're not, uh, but you sent some some helpful things here. This, mm-hmm. this may be something to share around. Uh, we're we're interested in trying to speak to a broader, um, I don't know, a broader audience yeah. uh, within our own denomination and outside. Uh, not that we have you know any sort of authority. We're just podcasters, <laughs> but we are pastors and we have a local authority. We we do. We do see what's going on. We have our eyes wide open and we're trying our best to, to speak positively into this moment, into Mm -hmm. this situation and to, to make a difference for the glory of God. So to that end, please like share, subscribe, all that sort of stuff. And we'll see you guys in a week. See ya.